guest today is Dev Carey, the founder and director of the High Desert Center in Peonia, Colorado, and a multiple time appearer on this podcast. Welcome back, Dev. Hello, hello. So we had a conversation a couple of years ago about goal setting on this podcast, and then you also helped to facilitate the conversation that I had with William Duresowitz in 2019. And now we are here to talk about uh, the program that you've been running for a number of years, the High Desert Center Gap Year. Uh, you wanna give us the, the quick story of how this Gap Year program came about and what it's transformed into? Sure thing. We've been calling it a Gap Year for about six years, but it's, I've been doing the same thing with young people a lot longer than that. We just hadn't discovered the word gap year yet and, and come up with the idea of sticking them all together for a year-long program. Um, it, it evolves really from me trying to do things with young people that felt meaningful and for them and fun for me. And, you know, I was a regular teacher um, a lot of times and taught a lot of science and math and so forth. And I kept discovering that the things I really wanted to teach were, um, you know, you notice that some people learn math easily and other people really get down on themselves and struggle and kept asking, why is it that some people are so graceful at this? And, and, and those kind of questions you normally don't get to teach in the classroom. And so, I started experimenting with other modes of, of learning and discovered that I really liked adventuring around with young people and exploring the world and figuring out who we were. And so, so now they show up for nine months and we spend a lot of the time in small town, Western Colorado, where I live, um, just doing practical skills, climbing mountains, farming, dancing, building things. And, and then we also travel around in the spring and in between they do independent internships. We all live together, cook together and get to know each other quite well, live together with eight. There's normally uh, about 16, 18 participants and a couple staff. And we live rather simply cook outside in an outdoor kitchen, slaughter our own chickens, that kind of thing. And how old are the participants? They range between 16 and 24, but most are in the, the traditional gap year range of 18 or 19. Mm -hmm. And I got a little view into gap year life because in late spring 2020, when my bike trip was canceled due to COVID, uh, you graciously let me come crash the end of your gap year program in April and May, and I got to live in the yurt. And I know it wasn't a, a normal end to your gap year because half the group decided to go home straight from Mexico instead of continuing because everyone was really concerned about the pandemic. Um, but I still got to, to see how the, the soup was made, so to speak. I, I ate very well while I was there. Uh, ate extremely well. Diverse, messy soup, it often is, <laughs> but good ingredients. Uh, some people might be wondering at this point, are you going to be running a gap year program uh, for fall 2020? Because 
the pandemic still rages? We are. We are expecting 20-odd people to descend on our doorstep here in the next couple of weeks. And we're one advantage of living in a rural place and having a mostly domestic program is that it's a lot, you know, most of what we're doing anyway is outside and at a distance from people. And so we're confident that we can have a quality experience and we're going and we've turned out to be more popular than ever because it turns out that there just really aren't a lot of good options for young people these days. And everyone's discovering their college is canceled or their travels are canceled or their other gap year was canceled. That was going to go to some faraway place. And so I'm excited. Awesome. So we're going to talk about your experiences running these gap year programs and about the young people who show up to these programs. And uh, what I want to get out of this conversation at the end is some high quality, uh, unfiltered and unsolicited dev carry advice for gap year aged young people. So for you know 17 to 22 year olds, if we get to that point, uh, I'll be happy. Let, let's see, let's press forward here. So let's start with this. Who are the kind of young people who are showing up at your doorstep? Like, can you tell me maybe basically if there's some sort of pattern of, of the kind of families or situations they come from, uh, what that is, and then also what they're looking for, why they chose this program? Well, it's a shifting demographic. So my answer a couple of years ago is very different than currently. We started out being mostly networked in the homeschooling, unschooling community. And most of our students came from word of mouth or from Blake's networking skills. Um, and, and that was, um, and also that often tended not to be traditional gap year students in that many of them hadn't gone to high school and might not go to college and they're different ages, uh, more diverse age. And now most of our students or participants are coming from, from Google search. And most people that find us are searching affordable gap year programs, um, which tells you something right there. It's often people who, who feel a little bit limited financially, or um, I mean, maybe just like a normal financial person who looks at a gap year program that costs $50,000, like a lot of them do and says, Oh, my goodness, there's got to be something a little more affordable out there. How and much is your program price this year? We're charging $8,000 right now, which uh, still seems like a lot of money for a young person to come up with. And yet when you factor in that it's, it's room board and most travel, most of the, you know, once you get here, travel part, all expenses for, for that amount of time, it's way affordable compared to most of the other options out there. It's um, more than we used to charge. It still seems I'm in the old ages where I'm, I'm constantly trying to figure out how to do it for less just because I have empathy for all those young people trying to earn that money. Mm -hmm. and. And a lot of the young people that show up to our program are, in fact, earning the money themselves um, and working for it, which 
So we get people who are tend to be motivated that way, who tend to um, to be looking for the programs themselves and trying to figure out themselves what they're going to do rather than having a, a parent or a gap year consultant or somebody finding it for them. And um, and people are also attracted by what what we have on our website is. Um, we emphasize community, we emphasize connection, we emphasize um, being a little bit of C to C, you know, small, and, and we do some more unorthodox things right on our website. It says that we do things like skinny dipping and dumpster diving sometimes, and, and, and so we use composting toilets and all that kind of thing. So... we get people who find that fun and interesting rather than intimidating or scary. Dev, did you say dumpster diving and skinny dipping? I did. Did you also, I, I, I actually don't officially. know if you said this, <laughs> you said it on record and it's on the website too. Um, and, and hitchhiking too, right? Uh, we have done hitchhiking as part of the program. Yes. Yeah. Um, we don't always, we tend to do it, um, you know, we try to do it safely. Yeah. And I think right now during this pandemic, it would be almost impossible. But mm-hmm. two years ago, our program, we, we went overland from Guatemala back to Colorado and we took buses and so forth to the border with Mexico. And then we hitchhiked back from there in small groups. And we had people all over the all over the West texting each other. I got a ride. It's going to um, this place in New Mexico. I I don't even know where it is yet, but <laughs> <laughs> I think it, just with that, the last sixty seconds of what you've said, you've probably alienated a number of of parents and attracted an even larger number of of young people. You know, it's like whoa, someone runs programs that actually do this kind of cool wild stuff where you know you're not just going abroad and and doing service work um as you know a lot of gap year programs tend to orient around you really offer an adventure program like a capital a adventure program that i think is very difficult to find elsewhere in an, in an organized fashion and and one of the reasons that i think not many other people do offer these organized programs is because the the liability the the risk is is uh, substantial potentially, and uh, you have a statement on your website, you know, disclosing all, all of the the stuff that might happen on one of these programs, and you essentially say, well, wh- why don't you tell me what you say? Uh, we just say that we do all these things, and we do it because we believe it's important, and. It's the kind of thing that young people want to do anyway, and and we're going to try to do it in a responsible way. And we don't even carry any liability insurance. Um, we just take the risk and would rather spend the money on having a more affordable program than than charging a lot of money and charging a lot of insurance. And the insurance company would be telling us not to do those things. And 
and really in truth most of those things are probably way less risky than you know driving in a car down the highway and the things a lot of conventional people do um but i've one one way i've changed over the years is uh, used to be that people called me up and i try to talk them into doing our program and nowadays people call me up and my goal is to talk them out of it and just be like look you you might not really want to do this program and purposely do try to scare away all the people who might you know who are expecting a normal experience and would be very perturbed and be tempted to sue us or yeah, something yeah, yeah. when they discovered the truth. So, and still, given all that, we 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 do still have boundaries. We try to um, do things safely. We ask people not to hitchhike when they're going to town, for example, just because it bothers all the neighbors and so forth. So, we still do have some parameters. So, I want to circle back to this question of why are these young people showing up here and, and what are they looking for? Um, and I, I feel like there's, there may be two answers to this question. What do they think they're signing up for or what do they think they're going to get out of the program? And then what do they actually get out of the program? Perhaps, and perhaps they weren't even aware that they were looking for this or needing this at the end. Those are some big questions, Blake. Yeah, yeah. Go <laughs> and for it. it's it's going to, by necessity, require some generalization since it's every story is different. And but what most people say when we, you know, as part of the interview, we say, "Why, why did you pick this program? What are you looking for?" And most people say, "Well, I." want to explore the world and and find out broaden my broaden my perspective and do it with other people i don't want to do it alone and most are, are i think most people rarely say it but what often what is really going on and and alluded to is I want I want some good friends who are like me. And then finally the thing is, you know, I want to discover what my goal is in life. I'm I'm looking for my passion, I'm looking for my um my meaning and my purpose. And, you know, I think going to Mexico might be cool. And I like climbing mountains and there's some other things, but those are the main things. And I imagine there must be some element of and I don't want to do the other options, which, which are presented to me, which I imagine for a lot of them is college, you know, what their parents would probably feel most comfortable with them doing. Um, and what's, what are the other options they're, they're saying no to you by saying yes to a gap year, like getting a job? Yeah, often it's more of the same, you know, living with my parents because that's what I can afford and working some job. Um, often it's more school, which maybe people are starting questioning the value of, or just feeling a little burned out about, um, sometimes it's, you know, my, my life trajectory really isn't very good. I look at where I'm going and I'm not very excited about it and I need something to shake it up. And so I'm, 
I'm going to go do something that's unconnected to anything else I know. Okay. We're generalizing again here, but maybe you could provide some specific stories if that works for you. Um, what are the, the main lessons that the young adults in your gap year programs end up learning? And I'll try to narrow this down to make it a bit easier. What are the main lessons that are learned pretty quickly and pretty soon? Like maybe in the first few weeks of a gap year? Well, let's see. I, I was ready to jump right in with answers until you made that last call. Oh, no, I made it more complicated. And, All right, feel free to, to go back well, to that, the other question. That's okay. I'll, I'll roll with it. Yeah. Um, it's because the first, the first couple of weeks are kind of like this honeymoon period. You know, everything seems good and exciting, and you're meeting new people, and stuff's happening to you. And I think often the takeaway is, is curiosity. It's often wow, there's all these different ways of living and thinking that I didn't know exist. And, you know, wow, Dev and Marion, you're kind of like my parents, but different. And, and oh. Marion is your wife and the co-director. Marion's my program. wife and partner and yeah. co-director. And, um, and, oh, wow, there's this person that's really cool. And they say they never went to school. And there's this... Um, other person who volunteers for all the chores and seems to have fun doing dishes and what the heck. And, um, and wow, I actually kind of, it's okay peeing in the woods. I was scared, but I'm, I'm getting used to it. And, and it's, it's, so it's just kind of an opening of, of possibility. I would say though, that the, the important lessons don't happen until the honeymoon period wears off normally and and people start discovering that their roles despite all this newness and excitement at some point they become the same person in the same kind of relationships that they had wherever they came from and and all of a sudden then the lesson is wow maybe it has less to do with the external world than i thought and it's more me and which can lead to depression and overwhelm, but it also can lead to empowerment because you've got some control over it. And some of these ways of thinking about things, like I mentioned that, um, you know, that one of people's motivations often when they come here is I'm looking to find my passion, something out there in the world that is the right thing. And if I can just find that right thing, my life will be good. It's an exotic animal and you're on the hunt for it. Yeah. And it's, you know, I want the right place, the right job, the right lover, the right everything. And then everything will be good. And it's a standard way of, of thinking, I think, especially as a counterbalance to school that just says you need to do this drudgery to prepare for the future. And, and, and if you don't want to embrace that, well, the opposite of that is I'm not going to like, and I'm not going to agree to do anything unless I love it and, and follow my passion. And I think that that opposite is equally as unhealthy sometimes. Um, the, the truth is that middle, that middle ground. And so people, I think, start to, after a while, realize that, that this, 
search for a passion often practically involves rejecting everything that doesn't feel good in the moment, which is most things. <laughs> and, and when you're surrounded by other people who are embracing those things or willing to try those things or willing to just jump in and say, yes, I'll do it. It's probably not my passion or I didn't like it last time, but I'm going to give it my all and enjoy these moments and, and start to realize that, oh, well, maybe passion isn't something that's on the outside that we have to look for and find the right thing, that maybe it's more of a practicing jumping in and saying yes to whatever you happen to be doing at the moment, which might feel uncomfortable. Yeah, it sounds like you're describing an, an attitude towards life and perhaps something that people take away from this program is just the chance to be around other young people with perhaps a healthier attitude towards life that will rub off on them. Is that accurate? Uh, yeah. Although I'd say most people have a healthy attitude in some arenas and, and unhealthy in other arenas. And so there's a, a chance to share and look around and, um, you know, it works the other direction too. Sometimes, sometimes people look around and, and copy the person that spends the most time moaning about life. So it can work all directions, but yes, I do. I do think that fundamentally, um, one of the lessons that, that repeats itself again and again is, is just that your your inner mental world matters a lot and the external world kinds of ha happens to you you don't know what's you're not necessarily in control of that and we practice doing things where we're not in control of that we do a lot of crazy adventures and we're purposely seeking out environments where we don't know what's going to happen like we go out in the woods and we don't bring hardly anything a blanket and a knife and we spend some days and we don't know if it's going to rain on us. We don't know if we're going to find any food. We don't know if somebody's going to get sick. We just don't know what's going to happen. And, and we have to roll with it and adapt. And, and you have the opportunity to either have this kind of transformative, powerful experience or to see it as the worst 20, 48 hours in your life where you were miserable. And really, the difference is just in your mind. And when you do that kind of thing again and again and again, you start to notice that that mindset matters. And it matters not only for adventures, but for things like where you're going to live and what your job's going to be and, and so forth. And, and, and when people make that switch, it's, it's really, I think freeing in some ways the pressure to find the right thing becomes less when you think about success uh, in your gap year program uh, do you think about uh, a sort of mental or attitudinal shift in a young person over the nine months that they're with you or are there other ways that you you would measure success yeah i think that you know success is is a thing that is 
varies depending upon the lens that you're looking at it. And, and a lot of times the people that finish after nine months and say, I had the best time and it changed my life. Two years later, or have forgotten a lot about it. And uh, other times people, you know, say, oh, that was a really hard year and it was really difficult. And then six years later, they show up and say, the lessons I learned in the High Desert Center influenced me more than anything else. And it was so valuable. And, and so it just, you know, even, even what is success is pretty elusive. But, but I would say that, that for most people, the measure of success is, and you can see this from the outside and, and see it through conversation, is a sense of, I feel, I feel good about myself. I have, I, I see that I have options for being a person that I like, and I have options for being a person that, um, that where I matter, you know, how I am matters and who I am matters. And I can do things that more, I have more things that I think I can do and think of that I can like and ways that I can be than I did before. So I'm hearing basic self-worth, self-efficacy, um, a sense of autonomy and spacious, spaciousness and choice in one's life. Yeah, options, good okay. options. A sense of choice that's real. That's another thing that often um, shifts over the year, or that seems to be a really common issue for young people, and still is for me, actually, is this whole idea around freedom. Is this that 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 freedom means doing whatever I want to do and not doing what all the other people are trying to make me do? Which often what it looks like coming in is um a lot of resistance to authority, uh, a lot of, you know, oh, you're the director, so, you know, I'll say one thing to you and a different thing to my friend, and, or I'll, I'll really, um, I'll obey the rules just enough to not get kicked out, but then, We'll do what we want. And that's what freedom is, is, is resistance of authority. And, and people find that after a while that that's pretty limiting, that that definition of choice, of, of choice means not letting authority control you, which, which makes sense. That's most people come in feeling oppressed for good reason by, by school or parents or jobs or just our society as a whole. And and so it makes a lot of sense that people don't want to have their life dictated by other people trying to, you know, manipulate you into doing something for their own self-interest. But it's also a really limiting definition because it, it doesn't, it's, it's still defined by the outside world. It's your world is good if nobody is out there trying to oppress you. And there's always going to be somebody out there trying to oppress you. And you really have to figure out how to have a sense of choice and freedom in the face of that. 
and and not making it go away but actually embracing it and becoming it in some ways not becoming it as an oppressor but be yeah you know embracing that that sense of commitment and responsibility for yourself and, and so re- I, I think this is very interesting i want to stick with this for a moment so having preserving a sense of choice and freedom in the face of sometimes overwhelming forces around you how through what practical activities in your gap year programs uh, do you think that this is learned like can you give me an example of how going into the woods carrying just a limited number of of items for a 48 hour stay could could build this capacity this resilience you're describing or or any other practical example right well a lot of the things that we choose for ad- adventure like going out into the woods with very little things is the only difference between that and and deciding that well what we're going to do is memorize a bunch of you know learn learn algebra one of which is is that you have the sense of choice um most people aren't choosing to learn algebra and therefore resent it and people are choosing to go out in the woods with minimal things but they're equally you know i would say algebra is rather comfortable to learn often compared to sitting around a you know having no sleeping bag and a cold night while it's yeah. raining on you yeah. and you're hungry <laughs> and the, the bottom having, of maslow's hierarchy <laughs> most likely taken care of for you when you're learning algebra right and and so you're you're gaining the sense of oh well my my choice matters and and then you but there are these in-between fuzzy things like here we have um people do chores and we ask people to do chores for multiple reasons one reason is that we're just part of being affordable is we can't hire somebody to clean up after us constantly and none of us really want to live in a total mess and so we divide them up and everybody gets everybody gets a chore that um you do and and at first we just assign them and then later people choose them and it's really easy to to resent that you know you've been most people associate that with the chore chart that they grew up with at their house or it's those oppressive thing that you we have learned to do good enough good enough to not get in trouble or something and all those dynamics come up here as well and i think through those conversations in an ideal world what happens is that freedom the sense of freedom which is not you know freedom feels like not having to do this dumb chore that you don't want to do that's kind of gross and having other people judge you about it you you want to avoid that but at the same time 
you want to be part of something. You want to be part of a community that takes care of itself. You want to be, you want to have a sense of respecting yourself and having other people respect you. You want to have a sense, you want to live in a clean area and um, you realize what it feels like when other people aren't doing their chores. And so you get to this place where you start having to say, oh, what would it look like to choose to do chores because I want to do them and to do it not for the reason of not getting in trouble or looking bad, but because it actually feels good. I, that actually it's a nice way to have a meaningful life is helping people out. And what would that feel like to try that on? Not because somebody's giving me lectures about how I need to think that way, but just so my life can be more free and easy. And if I jump in and stop questioning this thing and just say, yes, I'm going to do it. Yes, I want to. I want to. I choose it. I choose it. It feels that, you know, all of a sudden the freedom is the right to really exercise committing to what you want. And if that's what you want, great. And the other side of that is being willing to say, no, I'm not going to do them and, and go down that line and have that be okay. And, and say yes or no quite clearly instead of that in between trying to please everybody ground. Um, so I'm not sure if I'm directly getting at what you asked there, but that's, that's often where the lessons are, are learned is by a reframing of everyday life. Well, you're making me think about the balance on your programs between these big, sexy or infamous adventures, and then just the day-to-day -day community experience. And I imagine that in terms of total hours, there's way more of the day-to-day -day community experience. Um, you guys do go on, do do these awesome adventures, but you know, there's a lot of time spent in Paonia, in the straw bale house uh, in the student dorms where they are just living and interacting with each other and dealing with things like chores or messy kitchens. Uh, I imagine when you're down in Mexico or Guatemala doing homestays, um, you know, the, these, these basic living in community type issues crop up and a lot of the education must be happening there, not in, in the big glamorous hikes or, or, uh, yeah, wild adventures. Uh, so if this is true, what, what else is, do you think is learned on your gap year program through the communal experience, the community living? Exactly. Exactly. And just to build on what you were saying that, you know, it's not only in our program where a, a lot of, a lot of the real moments are more mundane community living that's that's life as well and even when you're doing something really exotic you know if you're you got some amazing job where you're doing something really exciting you're still checking your emails every day and having this long list of things that you got to do that you don't necessarily want to do and when we're doing big exotic adventures and like Two years ago, we hiked from Mexico to Utah on the Arizona Trail. We hiked 800 miles across Arizona. 
and it's this big exotic adventure and you're you know you're seeing javelinas and rattlesnakes and going across the grand canyon and climbing mountains and it's all a new vista every day and it's wonderful and exciting and yet still really most of the time you're hiking along a trail and getting to choose what you do with your mind and you're fixing food and setting up tents and taking down tents and figuring out how to deal with your dirty socks and all that kind of thing. And that's even in the most exciting adventures, the majority of time are those day-to-day things. And so it, it makes sense to figure out how to make those day-to-day things be a good part of your life rather than an obstacle. And as far as what are the other places where that rears its head um i would say the main other arena is in your relations with other people that that most of us want connection you know we we crave a sense of connection and and it feels good when we feel really connected to somebody emotional connection some kind of emotional connection right and and i would say most of the you know when you look at how people are doing in the program if you feel connected to the people you're with the shit can be hitting the fan in all other arenas and you're okay you're together with people well you know while the band's broken down in the middle of nowhere and you're eating beans and quinoa for the third night in a row but but if you're not feeling connected the amazing things can feel kind of empty or or not enough that it really seems to matter to, to folks a lot i know it matters to me a lot to feel connected and so what does that mean though what does that mean to feel connected like you just feel connected when people say they like you uh, can do you have are you dependent upon the other people how how does one go about feeling connected to people and and especially when you're living with them day to day and you see each other all the time and and things they begin to do feel annoying sometimes and you know most of us um aren't really that comfortable being alone and want to be with other people. And yet we don't want to be too much with other people. We want our space and, and trying to figure out that middle line where it works is generally most people fall on their face in that arena over and over again during this gap year. It's really, it's tough. Most people feel lonely they they feel resentful all that comes up and what you do with that and where you go with that and what you learn about yourself ends up being some of the most profound learning that that happens so if you could wave a magic wand and have uh, let's say the young people who are coming to your gap year programs have some sort of of preparatory experience or have some sort of like attitude instilled in their brains, matrix style, direct download. 
um, this is my tricky way of saying, what is your sort of unsolicited advice for, for young people nowadays to, that would lead them to come and be more successful in a program like yours where you have to face adversity, where you are part of a, a small tight-knit community? Um, maybe another way to frame this question is what are the most common perhaps deficiencies or, or challenges or blind spots you see a lot of these young people bringing? Probably the biggest prerequisite that would help facilitate learning is to have failed in your life quite dramatically before showing up. It's the people, you know, there, a certain humility comes with failure, a certain sense of, I don't know everything. And I'm willing to be open to, to others' perspective, to trying new things, to um, trusting different ways of knowing besides my own internal voice saying what's right and wrong. Those, those kind of things, you see people that come in here who have succeeded at everything in their life and often they don't grow that much. Um, often they're good at things. Often they have a success. They're successful at it. And by standard ways, you'd look at them and say, Oh, well they have friends and they're the first ones to reach the top of the mountain and so forth. But I don't, and, and that's fine. That's good. But the people that really seem to grow, that really seem to become wiser, that really seem to develop a sense of compassion are the ones who have already been cracked in some ways. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, and, you know, that's hard. Uh, how do you seek out failure? You know, I'm, I'm still trying to figure that out myself. Um, but it definitely, you notice the difference. Can you give me, I, go ahead, Def. Um, well, I was going to change topic slightly. So, okay. I, I was wondering if without revealing, you know, anyone's personal details, if you could just provide a more concrete example of, of what this kind of failure, um, would look like, what kind of life experience of failure before age 18, uh, might a young person bring that would lead them to be in this more open, humble mindset and, and ready for the, the kind of stuff that happens on your programs. Yeah, it's not a formula, that's for sure. So it's, you know, it's possible to, to not be traditionally successful at things and to go just in a place of feeling sorry for yourself and hating the world and being a victim. And that's not helpful either. And I think there's some kind of inner, thing that happens so we had a a student this year who i'm thinking of right now that they came in feeling like they hadn't been successful at very much 
Um, they didn't really like their their home. They'd done a, gone to a lot of school and really hadn't felt like they'd found something that was that meaningful for them. They, you know, they'd done things, but they never really felt happy, and and they went through a lot of the gap year. I would say. Um, resenting things too and being kind of sullen but they had this reserve of they'd spent time being self-reflective they'd gone to counseling and really asked who am i and who do i want to be and when things started not going that well there was still part of them that that said maybe it's just the way i'm thinking about this i you know, how, how is it that given this situation, I could be okay without really having to change the situation? How could I just find peace in the middle of this thing? And by the end of the year, they, what was different was during all of our check-ins, they would give a really honest appraisal of where they were at and they would share their doubts and share where they were succeeding and say they're not succeeding and say you know i really feel bad about myself because i'm not i don't really feel good at this thing i don't feel happy i feel like i need to do something different but i don't know what it is and they had that conversation enough and were willing and were fed up enough with their existing patterns that by the end of the year, they'd really, they'd shifted. You could see they were a different person. Um, and, and they've got their, I would describe this person as content with who they are now, way more than before, content with the direction of their life, feeling inspired about where they're going. Um, and able to connect to people in a way that's real and connect to people that they used to be afraid of. And so I'm, I'm being kind of vague because I'm trying to protect identities, Yeah, yeah. but I'm, I'm not giving certain examples. Every example, I'm like, oh, if someone was on this year and I gave that example, they would know exactly who I was talking about. <laughs> <laughs> well, in those last few things you said, uh, these qualities of, of self-awareness and direction and confidence, you know, that that's amazing. Dad. That's worth more than $8,000 for sure. That's potentially life altering uh, stuff right there. So yeah, thanks. But you were going to change our topic of conversation a moment ago. Where were you going to go? I, f- I forget what it was. Oh my gosh. Now we have to improvise. Um, Well, my last sort of big question for you is, I know that you've been taking notes. Uh, You've been writing down your observations about the young people you've been working with over these years. And I know that you've already touched upon a number of the themes that you've been writing about, but I'm, I'm very curious. Is there anything else you've been writing down? Any sort of dev carry wisdom uh, about working with young adults in these kinds of programs that you have not yet shared with us? Or just interesting observations about, you know, human nature and 
and what what crops up in these situations. One thing that comes to mind is the people, one question that everybody's asking themselves is the answer to that question that, you know, all young people get asked constantly, what are you going to do when you grow up? That sense of what's your career going to be? What's your major going to be? And that's really a place that most of us struggle for understandable reasons, this feeling of we've got to choose this one path and it's really important and it's going to make all the difference while having very limited information about what that path could look like or feel like it's all this abstract thing. And so you end up finding most people just make up something that sounds good so they can feel good about it and talk about it, but you don't really know and that's okay. And it's often in the sense of as we're living together, people will find ways to help out the community. Um, Things that they like. Oh, I really like fixing the electricity when it breaks. Um, and, and it really helped everybody and it made a difference and I could do it. Oh, you know, Dev and Marion have this little four-year-old boy and, and he's always a pain when we're trying to talk, have conversations. But I found I really like to play with them and I really like little kids. I didn't know that. And everyone seemed very thankful. Or, and, and so the list goes on and on, but in, in figuring out a way to serve the community was often the seeds to a vocation, not necessarily a career goal, but a, a thing that, a way that you could contribute when you're with people. And often those things led to like a practical way to make money when you go to a new place and you know people discovered oh you know wherever i go i can always get a job taking care of kids or i can always get a job uh helping fix people's electricity those are those are always issues anywhere in the world and i know how to do that and i i can add and i can earn money i can support myself and i can be useful and and that's um that really has proven to open a lot of doors for people that, you know, most abs careers you don't get by just deciding you want that career and going for it. Often you got to show up in a community and, and you start out by taking care of people's kids and fixing the electricity or whatever it is. And then after you've kind of met your basic needs, you look around and all of a sudden there's a position open at the local public radio. And you take that and then your life goes a different trajectory, but it's that ability to have that vocation that opens the doors. And, and that's always right in front of you, just paying attention to the things that, that need to be done right around you and, and where you happen to like to contribute. So I imagine a a culture of adolescence and young adulthood that does not offer many opportunities for contribution to a community, a culture in which much is provided 
for a young person that a more individualistic, self-centered, how do I, you know, fulfill my, maximize my own uh, desires. Um, I, I imagine that that kind of culture would not adequately prepare a young person to succeed in your program. Maybe I'm painting with too broad of a, a brushstroke here. When people that come in with with fewer practical skills, fewer who haven't had to do those kind of things for themselves, um, the the result sometimes it's a struggling, a resentment for having to do them. A you know, hey, we paid money for this program, and we didn't expect that what we paid money for would mean that I just was spending my time cooking and cleaning and doing these things. Um, and there'd be this four-year-old present making screaming while I'm trying to have a conversation. And, and I'd be using this old backpack that doesn't work. And, you know, there, people can really get pretty indignant about those things. And, um, but it also, I think, People can find that doing those things and figuring out how to just enjoy the practicalities of everyday life becomes rewarding in the moment. And, and that you do stuff that by the end of the day, you feel like, well, I did something that matters. I made a difference, which is not how you feel when you're abstractly thinking about what you should do in your life. And it becomes simpler, maybe, in some ways. If oh, I can trust this day to day, and trust that it's going to take care of themselves, and that opportunities will arise. That but if I do, if I do these simple things really well, they will always open doors that lead to exciting things, and and there becomes a little less pressure than trying to figure it all out. And we are, you know, every day we meet, we meet new people, you see new things. And, and what happens is, you know, the people that they notice the students who are doing well in these small things and say, Hey, would you like a job? Would you like an internship? Um, and it's the, the people who are taking care of those details in the moment they get get those offers often or who are willing to have the conversation with the person and, and see the opportunity. All right, Dev, very last question, and then we will say goodbye. So while I wish that there were a lot of gap year aged people listening to this podcast, I think the reality is much more likely that it's parents. And I bet parents are wondering at this moment, you know, what, could I possibly do? Maybe I have like a 17 year old who exhibits a lot of the characteristics that, you know, Dev described in the struggles and challenges. What can I do now, you know, before my kid goes into whatever their equivalent of the, the gap year or college years uh, or their first job is going to be? How can I offer something that's like? this high desert center gap year experience in some small way here right now at home. What, what can I do as a parent? And, and you Dev are a two-time parent and your eldest is 
going to be joining your next gap year. That's pretty cool. So, so don't tell me you can't answer this question, Dev. I know you can. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is cool to, to know that I, my daughter who's 18 is, we're going to spend an intimate year adventuring together. And that makes me very excited. And it'll be the first time that she's ever done it with peers. She's uh, been hanging around a lot of her life, but always as a younger person. And I would say the most powerful thing that parents can do is to model everything we've been talking about and put less energy into trying to get your your kid into doing these things and, and more energy into doing it for yourself. And, um, you know, I think the most, the most powerful gift you can give a young person is to let them watch you figure out your life and how to thrive while doing things. Um, you know, the range from your relationship to your, doing the chores to your own sense of adventure, your own sense of happiness. The, the kids who have parents that are modeling those things almost always figure it out. And, and, and if you don't, you know, that's a big thing. That's like scary. That's hard. That brings up a lot of stuff. And, and I think just being, real with your kids and letting them see that in a way that's not like not putting pressure on them to figure it out or to take care of you so that you can feel good about them. But it's, it's just doing it for yourself and letting them participate. Um, all of a sudden brings in that sense of meaning and adventure right there and empowers them to do it too. Easily said, hard to do. Yeah, right, right. Uh, and I'm not a parent yet, so I can just nod along enthusiastically while you and, and other parents are doing the hard work here. Um, yeah, it's, you know, I, uh, I've been doing this for my living and can talk about it all, but um, you know, I, I struggle to have meaningful connection with my own daughter. Sometimes I she sees me when I'm grumping, worrying about everything else except really connecting with her. And it's, it's an ongoing challenge and area of personal growth for me as well. The closer to home it gets, the harder it gets. I think it's a lot easier to, I mean, that's, that's another bit of advice really is it's, it's a lot easier in some ways for both the kid and the adult to have that kind of meaningful connection when it's not your kid and, and setting up meaningful mentors for people, um, which means just letting your kid meet a lot of interesting adults and get invited into some of their lives and do something meaningful with them. It doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't, the thing that you do with them doesn't matter. What matters is that you get to be with mentors and have that relationship and creating as much as that as possible for your 
for your young person starting at a fairly early age. Don't try to do it all yourself. Get other people involved. What I'm hearing is uh, sort of hearkening back to the, it it takes a village to, to raise a kid. I mean, really this sounds like the way that most kids were probably raised, you know, a couple hundred years ago, dating back to thousands of years ago, which is hanging around, having relationships with, you know, their parents and siblings, but also lots of other non-parental adults watching and, and observing and sometimes asking questions or experimenting. Uh, yeah. And today we're all locked up in our little castles and it's, it's hard to get access to, to that sense of community and those other adults who can be the role models and the mentors. Mm-hmm. Seems like when you are spending time, it's almost always with peers of the same age and yeah, it's rare that you just get to walk down to the blacksmith shop and sit there and watch and not have to do anything. And if they say, Hey, hold this, hold this hammer while I do this thing, you can hold the hammer and yeah. kind of safely look and say, do I want to hang out with this person or not? Maybe I'll go down instead down to this, the other shop. Cause that's more interesting. Yeah. How yeah, that and, be okay. And our modern blacksmith shops now are, you know, YouTube, and Netflix, which have incredible resources, you know, the documentaries that are available, the, the, the insights you can get into all these different careers, but that's just not the same thing as, as a real life person who can talk to you. You can see their little, you know, nonverbal cues. You can see when they get frustrated, it's not well-produced and edited. It's like actual life instead of, mm-hmm you know, the five minute YouTube version of what it's like to be a blacksmith. And it's really, it comes back to this connection thing. You ask most anybody, what do you like to do? And they'll list off some things, you know, Oh, I like the watercolor and I like to uh, snowboard and I like to do this. Um, And you really trace back. Why do you like to do those things? What, what first sparked your interest? And it almost always was a relationship. And it was, that you happened to go snowboarding your first time with somebody you really liked who treated you well when you fell down and you know and that's your love of snowboarding grew out of the connection with the person and i think that's a natural way of things and it's it's hard to do that in the absence of that connection Hmm. so as a young person you know just go hang out with people just go hang out with people and try to get into whatever they're doing. That's probably the most, the best practice you can get is figure out how to connect with somebody and get into whatever they happen to be into. And, and don't ask yourself, is this the right thing? Is it exciting? Is it what, my path? It's your path is, is figuring out how to get into stuff that, is new and different and interesting and, and to connect with people while you're doing it and just practice. And if it's somebody down the street who's fixing their car and you have no interest in fixing their cars, all the better, just go hang out with them and ask them what they're doing. It's, it'll make an interesting life. There we go. The unfiltered dev carry advice I was looking for. What a place to end. I love it. Well, always nothing finer than to spend an hour talking with Blake. Thanks for the opportunity. Feeling is mutual, Dev. Thank you.